motherhood. and is maternal instinct uh, an absolute must for women and all of that it is it was a fabulous uh, you know session and i loved how the tata uh, lit live audiences are so tuned in and so you know it it was so interactive and that just makes it so much more um, interesting for the people on the session it was absolutely amazing uh, yeah so you know you've written six non fiction books and they are also interesting uh, your recent one is called recipes for life uh in which you sort of it's a very nostalgic book in which you recreate staple foods and dishes uh from the who's who in india you've written uh, feisty at 50 um, and a lot of other books motivational mm-hmm. books exploring very well known people but exploring very different facets of these people's lives for example the food memories one is very interesting and you uh, talk about people like mary com uday kotak amish tripathi amir khan so i find it very interesting perspective uh that you're taking all these well known people's lives and giving us a new sort of dimension to it what do you want readers to find out about these people there are several reasons why i wrote a book of this kind it started out with me writing this book because uh, my mother was diagnosed with uh, dementia a few years ago and i slowly yeah. started seeing her you know lose her memory and she she was an amazing cook she continues to be an amazing cook but now when she cooks often i see that she forgets ingredients she suddenly forgets what she is doing in the kitchen that kind of thing a um, couple of years ago i lost my uh, mother in law who was also from dementia and also a brilliant cook and she went away and suddenly we lost this 100 years of culinary legacy just gone with her because you know we all assume that our parents especially our mothers and grandmothers Uh, typically because they are the ones who are in the kitchen but there are also men who cook and uh, you know so they also leave a wonderful legacy you know of you know the things that they do well we don't uh, document them because we think they're always going to be around pampering us with all the goodies that they rustle up in the kitchen so i started actually writing down uh, the recipes along the way i realized as i started talking to people i realized that this is not just my mother or my family which is losing all the you know culinary legacy or the traditions at our homes most indian families don't document we don't have the tradition of documenting what we eat at home on a regular basis and i do believe that food is such a big part of our cultural you know identity and if we don't start documenting it now uh, we stand the danger of just losing this huge chunk of our identity 
And so I said, instead of just me writing about my food, let me just make it a larger project and let me just talk to other people. And why celebrities? Because we all know that celebrities are the hook. And for me, it is important that when I write that book, it is read. What is the point of writing a book with a purpose when that book is not read? And also, if you notice, these are not just any celebrities. These are people who are, uh, you know, trendsetters and path-breaking people in different walks of life. I'm not celebrity hunting. I'm finding people with a very interesting narrative. So Mary Kong, for instance, you know, how many of us know so much about the Northeast of India? How many of us know what is eaten there? What are the ingredients they use in their food? For me, it was an eye-opener. Mary's interview, if you read, Mary's chapter, if you read in this book, you'll find that so many of those ingredients we haven't even heard of, you know. And I was so enchanted with her story of growing up with her mother's food and of her talking about growing up in this tiny little home in a village in the mountains uh, and uh, near Manipur. And she said that our daily meals consisted of what my mother would pluck out of our tiny patch of garden behind our uh, thatched home and the fish that my father caught from the local lake. And I thought that is so quaint. And I thought that is how also a part of India lives. That is why. So celebrities, because their name catches interest. You know, when I spoke to Amir Khan's mother, not how many of us know Amir Khan's mother, but she's this Mm. wonderful, very, very low profile woman. You know, I went to her home and I spoke with her and um, she gave me this fascinating tale of a little girl growing up in Banaras being orphaned at the age of two. She lost her mother actually at the age of two. And then the father was taken in by her paternal aunt and raised by her, she and her sister. And how growing up in Banaras, her aunt actually trained her in the fine culinary traditions of Banaras. When she finally eventually found herself in Mumbai, married into a film family, how the food that she cooked was the one that actually caught her mother-in-law's heart and how she blended into the family through the food that she cooked. So for me, this whole book was not just about food. It was about the things that the people who have spoken to me in this book, they learned from their mothers while being around her. So what started out as a recipe book eventually grew into Recipes for Life. I was very excited to speak to you because, you know, something that I'm working on as well, because I sort of believe that nobody should go, you know, without their memories being preserved. Oh, absolutely. Uh, So we work with a lot of people, you know, helping them capture their family stories. I myself, you know, before my uh, granddad uh, passed away, wrote a book on his life and we sort of like spent many days together, you know, getting all of these anecdotes in. And it's really nice to go back and look on, I think, Food is something that sort of, you know, is that path inside person's heart, etc. I believe that we need to capture the stories of our people. In Pune, where I live, I on and off run this program called uh, Tell Me Your Story. And this is basically what I do to help very senior Pune citizens to just document their lives. And it is so important because Pune is so closely connected to the freedom struggle. And so many times I have been at a function or I've, I would be visiting some old friend and I would run into a super senior there, you know, who was in some way or the other connected to the freedom struggle. I've always believed that we all have so many stories within us and capturing that story sometimes for publication, not always for publication, but it is so important. 
Yes, for sure. And how did you sort of like put this book together? How did you go about getting the access? I know you've been doing this for a while, but for example, for your first few books, yes. uh, you know, how did you approach these people? How did you get them to op- open up about something that's so different? Aminpan's mother wouldn't talk to the press at all. Exactly, but I, exactly. Uh-huh. But how did you sort of get access to these people? Uh, she's somebody I know very well, but that is just one part of it. But the rest of it, uh, I think, Tara, it's because I built quarter of a century worth of journalism experience uh, and credibility. And I think that convinces people that this is not going to be a book that is going to sensationalize their life in any way. So, you know, uh, you chose to write about uh, pioneering women as a subject of uh, one of your first few books. In recent years, you know, there's been a lot of podcasts, books about women's lives, a lot of positive narration, different women's Mm -hmm. stories coming to the forefront. And there's a lot of content now. So for a writer writing now, there's a gap in the market when it comes to women's stories. I think there is a lot of content which just talks about, yes, we can do it. And you need need determination and you uh, need to work hard and uh, all of that. I realized a few years ago that that is the gap in the market, that we are all saying, yes, it can be done. Yes, we are strong. Yes, we are this. But there is nowhere anything which says how you can do it. You know, how these women actually did it. And so uh, as, as, as a young woman who struggled very much as a journalist, with a toddler uh, back at home, I, I've done the grind of my journalism reportage. And I was a hardcore news reporter on the beat every single day kind of job. And I struggled and I would wonder why I was so, you know, so hustled all the time and so frantic and just under pressure a lot. I felt very often like I'm on a treadmill to nowhere. That's how I first started writing about the journeys of women. But sometime in 2017 or 18, I said that, but the how is not answered still. And so I set about again, talking to women from different walks of life. Asking them, what really is your survival kit? What are your survival strategies? Uh, You know, how do you ensure that uh, you hit the ground running every day? How do you ensure that you survive to tell your tale? And thus was born my book, Devi Diva or She Devil. And I tagged it, uh, you know, the the Smart Career Woman's Survival Guide. In that book, actually, I made all these women actually talk to me about what they do. What are their go-to strategies? What are the attitude that they have to embrace? And what are the things they do to just stay in the race and stay positive and stay fulfilled and content? Yeah. So going into the how, I think is very important because oftentimes, you know, like as young women, we see all of these inspiring stories and all of this, and we don't know sort of how to get yeah. there. Yeah. So it be practical sort of case studies. So you are also a motivational speaker. Your books are also meant to inspire and your books are motivational as well. What do you think is a myth that people believe about motivational speakers, which you would like to bust? I think it would be that their lives are perfect. I think a lot of people think motivational speakers have it all sorted and their life is picture perfect. It's not. It is just that they know a few things maybe better. Uh, They know a few things that they can help you with. I think they are better communicators. They are able to convey to uh, a larger audience some things about life that maybe we are in a blind spot. Sometimes the answers are very simple. It's just that it does not strike you. If you're too close, if there is no distance between you and whatever it is that is bothering you, there's a blind spot there. So you just need somebody to tell you, okay, step back a little and this is your solution. 
Yeah, when you look back, you've written so many books, and if you look back at your first book, mm-hmm. uh, you know how has it sort of changed for you from your first book to your latest book? And do you think if you're to go back in time, you would change anything? Not really. You know, I wouldn't change anything because each of the books I have written, Tara, are books that I've really called out to me. Like that first book, Leading Ladies, uh, Women Who Inspire uh, India. That book was written from the years that I spent as a journalist working closely with business leaders because I spent the better part of my journalism career as a business journalist. And it brought me very, very close to, you know, close contact with some of the most influential women of our times. And like I told you earlier, I always had this feeling when I met them, when I interviewed them or in my 20s and 30s was when I was meeting all of them. And that's when most women struggle the most because that's typically when most women marry, they have their children, you know, their their first child. That's when they start moving up the career. So that's when everything sort of telescopes into one another. And then we are left floundering. Which is why when I first decided that I'm going to be an author, I decided that I'm going to put all my experiences working with all these influential women and put together a book that will endure. But that book continues to influence women. So very often when I'm called to a corporate house for a you know speaking session, I'm actually told, could you bring those books? You know, Because that is something that we would really like to gift our talent force. Having said that, I'm not sure whether I'd change anything, Tara. No, I would I would do is exactly uh, the way I have done it. What I would possibly do is also, maybe I would dabble in fiction. So why not now? Now I'm at a crossroad, actually, because now I'm doing so many other things um, in my life. Nonfiction for me is, you know, second nature, because I think also because of my journalism career. But for fiction, I think you need a little bit of uh, space, uh, some empty spaces uh, in your mind where those ideas can come. Uh, but now I'm I'm at the cusp in that I'm doing so many things. I'm also now an actor. And so that takes away a lot of my time. I think fiction will have to wait. So one of the concepts that uh, I really liked is the idea of, you know, uh, writing letters to their daughters from mm-hmm. eminent Indian men and women. Yeah. Uh, I love that concept because again, it's sort of, you know, capturing something that might not otherwise get captured. Could you tell sort of uh, our listeners about one letter from someone to their daughter that really sort of has stuck with you over the years? I started writing this book. Um, I wanted it to be a gift to my daughter who was turning 21 that year. And like every mother, you know, I had a lot of things that I wanted to tell her, you know, uh, talk to her about what are the things you can do to lead a fulfilled, contented life of dignity, something which will help you to live the life that you want on your own terms. I started writing that letter and then I realized like, if you are mother to a young person, you will always be accused of, you know, lecturing. And I said, okay, so I don't want this letter, this book to be considered a lecture by my daughter. And so like, like all the other books I've written, I decided to expand the scope of the book and then started talking to people who I personally uh, looked up to and asked them for you know what they would like to tell their daughters. Most of these people, if you look at the profile of people I've interviewed, most of them really don't have time to sit down and write a letter or craft yeah. a letter. My process actually was to go and several rounds of interviews and based on my conversations with them, I crafted those letters. You know, one of the interactions that really stayed in my mind was that of uh, Prakash Padukone. 
for me it was so much more special because he was my childhood hero you know we had this small little black and white television set in our home and i remember i'd sit next to my father and watch this young man play and bring so much glory to our country the opportunity of going and meeting him in bangalore and he said i will talk to you for 20 minutes i don't have more time than that and i said okay you know that that's okay i will still come and i went and um, but we spoke i think for hours wow and, spoke, <laughs> and he didn't realize it neither did i wow and, you know this was an icon who was sitting there and talking to me with so much affection sometimes a misting of an eye and what i remember from my meeting with mr padukone was him talking about what it is that really will drive you to success he said it is that chance to do the thing that you have always ever wanted to do in your life he said i grew up in a family of very very modest means and my parents really wanted for my brother and i to one a doctor and one an engineer yeah. you know in those days that was the thing yeah. that you do that then your life is made my brother did go to the us and he did what my parents wanted him to be he said when my turn came i told my father that i don't want to become a doctor or an engineer you know i just want to play badminton he said i knew my father couldn't actually afford for me to become what i wanted to become because parents depend on children to at some point you know help the family but he said if that is what you want to become if you want to play badminton then do that and he said that over the years for me it was not the money or you know the trophies he said i have traveled in unreserved compartments of trains to get from bangalore to the training uh, camps he said often times i would sleep in that narrow aisle between two toilets in that unreserved compartment sometimes during the journey a ticket collector would come and kick me out of the compartment and i would spend the night on the station waiting for the next train so that but he said i never whined about it i never complained about all of that because for me the most important thing was to get to my dream and so he said sometimes it would take me 5 days to get to the training camp but i would go there you know train and then when i got a medal for it he said i would feel like i won something of so much value he says the same thing to her you know so these are the things so don't focus on the money or the fame or something focus on what gives you happiness yeah that's lovely i think yeah. uh, definitely if you sort of like put your mind towards it and the work always speaks for itself there was this point when he said that even now she's a superstar now and she has yeah. so much money and so many homes and he said to me that when she comes home she is still our child our daughter and if we have guests at home when she comes she puts a mattress on the floor and she sleeps on the floor and in the morning she makes her own bed and then she also helps with her mother to wash vessels and he said that our only conversation with our daughter has been that the cameras that follow you around now because you are a superstar the, those cameras will go away once because there will be a new superstar at some days and at that time the only thing you will have left in your life is that body of work that you have created and the only people that you can actually reach out to and depend on is your family and friends like you get you know more successful or have more uh, you know uh, achievements in your career etc it's so important to be grounded exactly. and that's that's yeah that's like really amazing to know that you know deepika padukone yes. <laughs> uh, puts out a mattress and yeah. we all do it as children right <laughs> 
Yes. So, you know, I really like the way that you think of the concepts in your book. So, the, we have the letters, you know, you have the recipes, then you have feisty at 50. So, uh, they're very heartwarming and they're very simple as well. Yes. You know, what advice do you have to people who want to sort of, you know, come up with interesting concepts that also have a lot of neat in them, Value. but are so simple? My advice to anybody who wants to write a book uh, is that, if you feel that your concept is half-baked, then don't do it. Because if it doesn't appeal to you, it is definitely not going to appeal to, you know, the reader. Because there are so many thousands of books in the market now coming every day. You need to only put out a book which is different from the rest of the things on the bookshelf. In my career, the only thing I've done is follow my intuition. I think of an idea. If it does not allow me to sleep at night, then I write that book. You know, till that book is written, I can't sleep. So I know that this is a book that will appeal to everybody. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, when you know, you know, you know, something yes. feels right, you just know it feels right. And if it doesn't yes. feel right, you know that, you know. Like there are manuscripts which are incomplete, still waiting in my, uh, I have a cupboard in which I keep wow. all the things that are someday going <laughs> to. complete. yeah. Yes. But having picked up that fiction, I still feel that that, Nonfiction that I have left incomplete is what I have to write. And so I go back to it because I want yeah. to do that. And so I do that. And so fiction stays uh, in one corner of my heart and my cupboard. Yeah, I think, you know, like um, when I look at your books and the kind of things that draw you, I find it very appealing myself because, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've worked as a journalist. I'm, I love doing interviews. I love speaking yeah. to people. I love finding yeah. out about their lives and, you know, I'm helping people write their family history. So yeah. the kind of books that you're writing, the kind of stuff that you're doing is definitely something that, uh, you know, I also want to write a book and maybe sort of <laughs> like take inspiration from some of the ideas and concepts that Absolutely. you start my idea was also that more people would start writing letters. Yeah. And even today, people time. write to me saying that, you know, after I read Legacy, I wrote a letter to my father or I made my father write a letter to me. That's and so wonderful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love letter writing. <laughs> a few years ago, when my mother lived in Mumbai, and I was in Pune and she was at the beginning of her, you know, slow descent into dementia. Um, I started writing letters to her. You know, I said there has to be something that will give her comfort because I couldn't go and stay there with her. But her family was there. My sister was there. But I wanted to do something for her myself. And so every week I would write a postcard to her. To this day, it makes me feel sad that she did not get a single one of them. Not a single postcard oh, reached my mother. How come? And I have no clue. I know. And, and I still think, I still wonder whether our postal services have sort of given up on these things and mm. they just, you know, they're they not bothered. Who That's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. And I still, I wonder what happened to the letters because I really put my heart into those letters because, and I, I went to the post office and I asked what happened to those, you know, I've been writing to my mother every week and nothing has reached. And they'll say, oh, we sent them. And they, they don't, yeah. there's no accountability. And I'm, where am I going to search for a lost letter? <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but that's a great story. So anyway, that moves us to the last section of the interview, which is the rapid fire round. Your favorite book of the ones that you have written? Um, it has to be Legacy. Your favorite person you have profiled? Ila Ben Bhatt. Seva's founder, Ila Ben Bhatt. I never profiled her in the book, but my yeah. first book, Leading Ladies, she wrote the foreword. I went to Ahmedabad to meet her, you know, Gandhian and founder of 
India's largest trade union body for women from the unorganized sector. Wow. And that meeting with her, this tiny, frail, uh, five foot nothing uh, woman clad in khadi sitting on a swing and telling me that, you know, Sudha Ben, you and women in the rural uh, you know centers of our uh, country, all of you could just spend one week out of your 365 days uh, by just talking to your sisters uh, in the rural areas. You have no idea how much you can empower them, how much you can transform their lives. So your favorite comfort food? Sambar and rice bread by my mother. <laughs> nice. <laughs> always. <laughs> always, always. What are you working on next? Three, four books in my mind, but nothing on paper. Because like I said, taking care of uh, mom yeah. is like, it's like a full-time job. And also what little time I have, then I do uh, my acting thing. Hopefully when things become a little better with my mother, I'll go back to writing. If you are to write a letter to your daughter on one topic, what would it be? It would be just uh, believing in yourself. You know, and yeah, just that you are enough and that don't let anybody tell you that that is not enough. No, that's so simple. But yes. I think all of us <laughs> young girls need to hear this from Absolutely, time time. absolutely. Because my mother and father were totally supportive of, of the four children they had and especially of the three daughters that they had. Yeah. But around me was the society which would uh, compare me with my sister who was fair and beautiful and uh, very, very intelligent and super achiever in school. And um, when I look back now, I think till I sort of entered college, my life was all about trying to keep away, keeping on the fringes so that people wouldn't make these comments. People wouldn't do this uh, very cruel comparison because it, it kills what you are meant to be. You know, it suppresses that. And so I want to tell my daughter that let nobody tell you that this can be better or that can be better. Like each of us bring something unique to this universe and we should just treasure that and hold it close to us. Absolutely. So thank you so much uh, for this interview. Uh, it was so very interesting. I loved hearing about all of your different stories. Thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Tara Khandelwa, the founder of Bound a company that helps you grow through stories. Please find us on Bound India on all social media platforms. We would love to connect with you there. And we have much more coming up in this mini-series. So tune in for more conversations from some amazing authors from India and South Asia. And keep your love for stories alive and for books and beyond. See you then.